Pray for us, Carrie. Father, I thank you for this morning, God. I just thank you for your promises. Father, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you are the ancient of days, Father. Thank you for the privilege that we have of coming together this morning, God. And I pray, Father, that you will help us be able to focus, Father. And I thank you, Father, that you have something for us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for that truth. God, we look forward to the day of your return. I pray, God, as we open your word this morning, God, that our hearts would be of good soil to receive. That it'll take root and produce lasting fruit in our lives, God. pray, Father, that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. God, that our eyes and our ears would be open. Father, for you are God and God alone. The great I am. Father, thank you for the work in which you've begun in us. The word says that you are faithful to complete it. I pray, God, that we would continue to yield our lives unto your leading, Lord, as you make every crooked path straight, as you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, and you've commissioned us to go, to proclaim the good news, Strengthen us, we pray, O oh God, that your will will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Psalms 34, verse 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek for peace and work hard to maintain it. This is our scripture again, as I keep reminding us throughout this year. This is our scripture. And it's a scripture that is very important in our generation and in the generations to come as it was in this generation when it was penned. To be the people of God, to turn away from evil and to do good, to seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. Peace. Peace. We will never turn away from evil and do good if we do not abide in Christ. Jesus says to remain in him. That apart from him we can do nothing. That apart from him we can do nothing. We are called to abide. To trust him. If you're calling yourself a Christian. Then live as a Christian. When I think of the things that I hear and I see going on throughout this earth around me. I go God have mercy. We don't yield to darkness. We don't give ourselves to the flesh. No, not as Christians. No, we are abiding in Christ. That is our position. It's in Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
See, either he's God or he's not. Like when I think about truth, when I think about he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And to go to John, I've been meditating on these scriptures. As I myself daily pray, God, keep me from evil. That I would turn from evil and do good. That I would seek for peace and I would work hard to maintain it. So when I think of Jesus in John chapter 18, verse 23. Jesus in this scene is being questioned by the high priest. We already know that religious people have no use for the truth. They don't want to live changed lives. They just want to live their lives and slap Jesus on their, on their lives. They want Jesus to work for them. That's not how it goes. And so Jesus says this in verse 23. Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Jesus, you all. Like he was beaten. His body was ripped apart. For us. Like he endured all of that for us. And so we can't keep living lives making a mockery of who we say our king is. We just can't keep going the ways that we go and doing the things that we do. And going right along with the world when we're claiming him to be our king. Like our lives are to be submitted. Our lives are to be being transformed. We're turning from evil and we're doing what is good. And doing good is, and, and as we talked about, is not being applauded in our generation. In fact, to do good, you look down upon. You're mocked, you're in prison, you're beaten. Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And Jesus here is saying, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? And then he goes on here in the same chapter, but verse 36 through 37. Now he's on trial before Pilate. Oh, let's go to 35. Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king? And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. All who love the truth will recognize that Jesus' words are true. Are you recognizing that today? Because if you're not recognizing that his words are true, you won't turn from evil. Sin will continue to be your master. It will have dominion over you. You are a slave to sin, to your own flesh, to this temporal world. It's all you crave. It's all you want. It's all you do. 
See, before Christ, we're just sinners. <laughs> All of us born into sin, into this nature that is in rebellion to truth. Rebellion to truth. Don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. I'm going to do me. I'm going to live how I want. And yet in the end, that just leads to death. Eternal separation from God. And we've talked about it over the past couple of weeks. Either you're an object of his wrath by your own doing. Or you're an object of his love by his doing. Like he loves us, you all. And he pursues us. And he reveals himself to us time and time and time again. And here he is and he's speaking these words. My kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom, you all, is not of this temporal world. His kingdom. And then he goes on here. I came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. The only way we will could not turn to evil and only turn to good is by recognizing his truth. That's why it's vital that you're in the word of God. That's why it's vital that you're applying the word of God. Your mind is to be transformed. How does he make us new? By transforming the way we think. Changing the way we think. We're not going after the same thing. We're not allowing the same emotional junk to rule us. We're not allowing our past to define us. No, we're seeing that the love that we have from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that he was willing to lay his life down for you so that you can be reconciled back to the Father. To be at peace with God. No longer at war with Him. No longer resisting Him. No longer turning from Him. The world is applauding filth. Look how rapid it's growing in this earth. Filth, anger, murder, strife backbinding, jealousy, perversion, you name it. It's growing at an alarming rate. <laughs> and we're not as Christians to be swept up in it. We're to be set apart from it. And we're to be calling out into the world, come to Jesus. But if I asked you this week, how have you been with that commission to go tell others about Jesus? Because as a Christian, you can't just sit idly by and not share your faith. As a Christian, you can't just close yourself off and have your own little personal devotion and think that's enough. No, it's not enough. There's dying people going to hell, thinking the way that they're living is okay with God, and it's not okay. We can't just crawl back no, we have to go forward. We have to share our faith. We have to encourage others who are calling themselves Christians to live like Christians. Hold each other accountable. Get in the Word of God. There is a way in which you ought to be living. <laughs> and if you're not living it, then you're not fooling anyone but yourself. You got a false sense of freedom. You got a false hope and a salvation that's not even salvation. Why do you think the, the Bible talks about in the letters to the churches 
The gospel in which you're following is not the gospel at all. Why have you turned away so quickly? Oh, we've got to guard our hearts, you all. We've got to guard our hearts. We need our minds to be focused. We need our eyes set upon the one who has delivered us out of darkness. And to his marvelous light. The hope that we have in Jesus, you all. He is victorious. Think about that. He is victorious. He's not a weak-willed, lowly, you know, pathetic God who has no power, who just gets ran over and pushed around. No, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our warrior. He fights for us. Like his kingdom is established and it cannot be shaken. That God, you all, do you know your God? Careful before we put our hearts and our minds and our hands towards that which is evil. And just so we all understand evil, it's anything that's opposite against God's truth. That's evil. Your bad attitude, that's evil. Your anger, your unforgiveness, your perversion, your lust. You're backbiting, you're gossiping, you're stirring up strife. That's evil. And Christians don't live that way. That should not be a, a continual life for a Christian. No, a life of a Christian is a life of, of one who is honoring God. Who is submitted to his will. And when they fall, they repent, and they get up, and they keep moving. They know they're not to be like a dog that returns back to its own vomit and laps it up. They know they're not to be like the pig that just goes back to the mud and the mire. They're to live a life honoring God. They're to live a life. Pleasing God. Not in and of themselves, but depending upon the Holy Spirit. Testifying of the deeds of their Savior. How can we claim Him as Lord and Master when our lives represent that everything else is mastering us? See, there's hope. There's victory. He has brought us out. He hasn't left us in. It's by His blood. Salvation. Hope for eternity. And as we've been studying through the Old Testament, we're seeing God set apart His purpose and His plans for the Messiah, the one that would come, that would redeem mankind. And we're watching and we're, and we're studying and hopefully you're in the Word and you're being encouraged by it. That as we pick up today in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, that God is bringing out His people. They had been imprisoned. 
Well, in slavery, for 430 some odd years, God's people, God's chosen people, they had to endure that time in Egypt, being enslaved, being mastered, being beaten down. And then yet God remembered his promise to them that he would bring them to a place, a land of their own. And now we've seen God move to reveal himself, not only to his people, but to, to, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians and to the other nations around that others will know that he is God. He's revealing himself. And today we're going to pick up where he's going to lead them out. So chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land, God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And I find that very interesting. It's no different than us. When we face a battle in our lives, are we, are we standing under the assurance and in the assurance of who Christ is? Or do we go right back to Egypt? To the place that he has brought us out from. What are we placing our hope in? Who are we placing our hope in? Should be in Christ and in Christ alone. And God knew that he did not, he knew his people. And this is another hope that I get just reading that one little portion of scripture there. He knows. He knows us right where we're at. He knows what we need. He protects us. He provides for us. He leads us. And he's leading his people and he says, if the people face, are faced with the battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. He knows how fickle we can be. Here today and then gone tomorrow. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. You must take my bones with you from this place. God is faithful, no matter the timeline. This is years later. And they remembered, we need to take his bones with us. But see, Joseph knew even then, in his time, that God would come for his people. And he would lead them out of Egypt. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Ephraim on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and he provided light at night 
with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. God provides you all. And we're seeing this today. We should celebrate it. That He is our provider. He is our protector. He is going before us. He is leading us. <laughs> then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Ordered the Israelites to turn back and camp at Piharatim, between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Baal-Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this, look at this, in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. And so we see this again. God is going to reveal himself by allowing his people to be chased. To be chased. He says, I planned this in order to display my glory. In order to display his glory, you all. Let that be said of our lives. As we're going through circumstances, as we're facing the unknown, as if it feels like the enemy is charging behind us, after us, trust the fact that God is going to use every circumstance that we will face in our lives for his glory. You have to trust that because we're trusting in him. However you want to use this, God, may you get the glory out of it. That we would honor him. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces of Pharaoh's army, all of his horses and chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. The Egyptians called up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Piratham, across from Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Do you hear their response in the midst of their panic? enemy is coming down on them and in the midst of their panic they 
they saw that their lives in Egypt were better than what God was doing right before them. He was leading them, you all. The cloud by day and the fire by night. They have seen his works, his mighty miracles. They were present when all of the the plagues were taking place and they were spared. And yet, in the midst of their panic and their uncertainty, they longed to be back as slaves. No different than us. We're pressed in. We look back. Wasn't it better there? Wasn't life easier there? What? In bondage? To to sin? Enslaved? To your brokenness? How's that better? How is it better? No, no, no. We got to press in. We got to look up. We got to remind ourselves who our God is, what he has done, and what he has promised. He's not man that he should lie. These people have witnessed God, and yet they're quick to turn from him. And as we open up today, God knew. He knew if they were pressed in, they would want to go back to Egypt. And then... In verse 13, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Oh, how we need to hear these words today. Just stay calm. The Lord is fighting for you. Reminds me in Ephesians where it says, after you've done all you know to do, then just stand. Don't be moved. Just stand. And the assurance of who your God is. And trust the fact that He is working on your behalf. Listen to what they're told. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Verse 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. I love that. Far too long we stay stuck in our mess. Far too long we stay stuck in our panic. Far too long we stay stuck in crying. God, it's like if you would just put all that energy into moving, get up from where you are and move. Go forward. Take a step of faith. Trust him. Get up. Reminds me when he comes along, that man, he says, do you want to be healed? Well, no one carries me to the pool. He had all these excuses. No, but do you want to be healed? Well, yes. Well, then pick up your mat. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Like, just get up. (laughs) Do something different. Move forward. Get up out of the rut. Get up out of the lies and the deception that you've told yourself or you've heard others talk to you about. Get up and trust God. 
Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on the dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. I will use what you think is your destruction to bring about my glory. And he does the same in our lives. We need not to panic. We need to stay calm. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood between them. The clouds settled between the Egyptian and the Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, during, sorry, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on the dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of the pharaohs, horses, chariots, and charioteers chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here. Let's get away. I'm sorry. Let's get out of here. Away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. Listen to this. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. The enemy knows you all. (laughs) They knew who they were up against. It wasn't the Israelites. It was the God of Israel who was fighting against them, throwing them into confusion, twisting their chariot wheels, (laughs) making it hard for them to drive. When all of the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and their charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all of the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh, all of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Wow. This is our God. This is whom we have placed our hope and our trust in. He's not a God that he should, he's not man that he should lie. He's a God who is faithful to his word and he will bring about his purpose how he chooses to. His glory is being made known. As it was then, so it shall be now until the day that he returns, like his glory will be made known. No matter how the wicked want to prosper and move forward and do their thing and work their thing and, you know, 
plead for their cause and push their agendas. It doesn't matter what the wicked does. Because ultimately, the Lord is bringing all that about and allowing them to do all that they do so that His glory would be made known. Just when the enemy thinks he has the upper hand, God shows up. God shows up. He's been there the whole time. But his glory begins to be revealed in a mighty way that no one, no one can take from him. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians wash up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So they went from a panicking people back to a faithful people. They were in awe of God's power, of God's glory. And they began to worship Him. Verse, I'm sorry, chapter 15. It's a psalm of deliverance. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Look at verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 3. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. And as we've studied and we have this understanding that these, this account was to be told from generations to generations, from generations to generations, so that they don't lose sight of who God is. That's why it's vital that we are talking and we are sharing of our God with our children and our grandchildren. That we're upholding Him before them. That they will see, that they will know that He is God. These people are rejoicing. Pharaoh's chariot and army he, ha he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officials are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. <laughs> Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your breath, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood straight like a wall. In the heart of the sea, the deep waters became hard. I can't even imagine that night. As God's people were being led on dry ground as the sea walls stood on each side of them and as they walked through these parted waters 
And I think that God led them towards that sea. God knew what he was going to bring about. And such faith for them to walk through. To trust. That that water, that walls, those walls would not fall and drown them. They looked straight ahead. They saw the other side. I don't think they stopped and took sight of the walls of water. Mm. They moved. They moved. And as God is bringing about deliverance in our lives, let us move. Let us see the other side. Mm. Don't stop in the middle of it. Keep moving. Get to the other side. To freedom, to hope, to life. And they began to sing. Verse 9, the enemy boasted, I will chase them and catch up with them. I will plunder them and consume them. I will flash my sword. My powerful hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With unfailing love, you led the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. The peoples hear and tremble. Anguish grips those who live in Philistia. The leaders of Edmund are terrified. The nobles of Moab tremble. All who live in Canaan melt away. Terror and dread fall upon them. The power of your arm makes them lifeless as stone until your people pass, O Lord, until the people you purchase pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, reserved for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. And then we're stopping at verse 18 today. The Lord will reign forever and ever. God's mighty hand of deliverance. The Lord is a warrior. (laughs) Yahweh is his name. He has led his people through. And his glory has been made known. Not only to the Egyptians, but did you hear about these other nations? They're trembling before the God of Israel. Oh, may people see who our God is. And we will live a life honoring him. Allowing him to to lead us and to guide us. That we're not to be a people who, 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 who panics in the middle of our breakthrough. But that we would be a people who are determined to stand and wait and see God move. Amen. Because he's faithful to his word. And what he has planned and what he has purposed for our lives. He is faithful to bring about. But we must follow him. That's why I love that one line. Why are you crying out to me, the Lord says. Tell the people to get moving. That does not miss that. 
God has spoken to each one of us. And he continues to speak. He wants us to continue to move forward. Remember, we're to be maturing. We're to be growing. We're not to be remaining the same. We shouldn't look like we did yesterday. We shouldn't look like we did last month or last year. No, you're to look different. You're to be transforming to more and more of His image. To bear His likeness so that the dying world will see. Again, the dying world is applauding filth, celebrating. And yet, the church can't be right alongside them. There is a divide. Jesus himself said, and I know we all want to go to heaven. (laughs) And I know we all want everyone to go to heaven, but not everybody is. Not everybody will. Only those who have given their lives to Christ, who have accepted His free gift of salvation, who recognize that they're sinners. Like, oh God, I'm a sinner. I need you. It's crazy. Like we hear and we read all through the New Testament. These types will not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, are we understanding it? There's a way in which we are to be living. We are to turn from evil and do good. And again, not in and of our own selves. Because Jesus accomplished it all. And what he did on that cross, it is finished. But those who belong to him abide in Him, and live for Him. Their lives are marked. They are transformed. So we're not working for our salvation. No, we are saved. But there ought to be fruit in our lives. There ought to be fruit in our lives. And if there's no fruit in your life, then God have mercy. God have mercy. We're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're talking about the one who will come and part that eastern sky and gather those who belong to Him. Like He's purchased us with His blood. We're not to make a mockery of it. We're not just to keep trampling it underneath our feet and treating it as if it's common. Keep wanting to live our lives and slap Christian on them. And we're not Christians if we're not following Christ. No matter how the world wants to paint it, no matter how the enemy wants to pervert it, God has already established it. He's already set it in place and in motion. So as the world grows wicked by the day, I pray that we are growing more righteous by the second. Because there's work to be done, you all. Are you watching the news? Are you looking out in your community? Are you seeing what's going on? Mm -hmm. 
Has it driven has it driven you down to your knees? To not waller and cry and pour this and pour that. No, but to get on your knees and begin to declare the truth of God's word. Wrestle in prayer for your loved ones, not just patting them on their back and accepting them. But upholding a standard of righteousness first for your own life. And then for those that are around you, encouraging them to hold true and to hold fast to godly teaching, to persevere, to have a prayer time, to have a devotional time, to have fellowship, to grow in a community of believers. Because there's work to be done and it takes each one of us to be a healthy member. And I'm just not talking about a physical health, I'm talking about a spiritual health. That we got to stop being spiritually sick and making excuses why we're not growing. No, we need to grow up. People are dying. And you may be the last representative of Christ to them. <laughs> so we got to wake up. We've got to encourage ourselves in the things of God. We've got to know our God. We've got to see Him for who He is. Look how He has moved and how He's delivered His people. Look how He's faithful to His promises. Look how He fights for us. Look how He says, no, 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 it's not your strength that you're going to get through today. No, it's in my strength. Abide in me. Depend on me. I've got you. Have you trusted in him? Do you have the assurance of salvation in Christ? Have you seen yourself as a wicked sinner? <laughs> like, oh God. Do you grieve over your sin? Do you repent? Do you get up and do you move forward? Are you trusting him? Go to Matthew chapter 21. Great is his deliverance, you all. In the middle of what he's working in you, as we just said before, look onward to the other side of what he's bringing you out. Don't stop. So many times God moves in our lives. He's calling us to make choices and decisions in our lives to get us onward to what he has for us and we stop. And we take look around and we take notice of what he's bringing us through and that can hinder us. It doesn't hinder God but it hinders us. Because we stop looking onward and we start looking around. And like I said, I don't think the Egyptians stopped and looked. I'm sorry, not the Egyptians. The Israelites stopped and looked at the walls of water. They knew they were there. <laughs> but they were running through. They were getting on to the other side. If they all would have stopped and took it all in, 
It would have slowed down the process. What is slowing down your process of the fullness of what God has for you is you. You're taking notice of what's around you instead of looking what's ahead of you and rejoicing in what God is doing. Get to the other side, you all. Stop stopping. Get to the other side. There's so much more for you. Don't settle. He is your warrior. He is fighting for you. He is speaking. He is making his righteous ways known to you. Live it. You can't just be a hearer of the word. You have to be a doer of the word. And so we pick up in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 through 46. The authority of Jesus is being challenged here. When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and the elders came to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Remember, the people that you're going to have the most problems with in your Christian walk is not so much the lost, but the religious. Don't forget Just as they did for Jesus, they're going to do for you. And I love how Jesus deals with the religious people. I tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, well, I'm sorry, we'll be mobbed because the people believe John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Like he's not playing you all. He deals with them directly. But then he goes on and he tells this parable about these two sons. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, You go. And he said, Yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, The first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before you do. For John the Baptist came. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did. Even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. The humble people. The tax collectors and the prostitutes who saw their sin, who saw the way they were living was an error to God's truth. They humbled themselves. They repented. These religious men, these religious people who thought they knew God, but they had no clue who God was. They saw they saw no sin in them. The way they were was fine. They were fine with God and all along they weren't. They refused to repent. 
Jesus' message is to turn from your sin, to repent, to turn to God. Listen to people today who talk of God but yet live how they want to live. They're not Christians. Don't let them fool you. No matter how well they, they articulate it. Jesus' message, to turn from your sin and to turn to God. To repent and to turn to God. To receive Him. This free gift. These tax collectors, these prostitutes who were the lowest of lowest in these times. They saw their need and they humbled themselves and they believed the message in which John was saying. John the Baptist. And they turned to God. The religious people didn't. And Jesus is yet again exposing them for who they are. Then he goes on with another parable. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the great harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned the other. So the landowner sent a larger group of servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asks, What do you think he will do to those farmers? And the religious leaders reply, He will put the wicked man to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who give him his share of crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked him, didn't you ever read the scriptures? Read this in scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has been become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, look at this, they realized he was telling the story against them. Mm. They were the wicked farmers. Mm. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Mm. Isn't it crazy? They knew that he was speaking of them, and yet they didn't repent. Mm. They were angry. They wanted to arrest him. Here Jesus is exposing them, their hearts and their lives. And yet they didn't accept him. They wanted their will to still be done. As it is with us. And hopefully not with us, but as it is with those of today. And as it's been through time and will continue, people will hear the gospel over and over and over and over. They, Jesus will bring conviction they will know, oh, this is speaking to me. But they don't change. They don't change. 
And in fact, sometimes people get angry at God, and then they start getting mad at Jesus, and now everything is Jesus' fault, and God's fault, and the pastor's fault, and the church's fault, and everyone else's fault but mine. There's been so many people who have laid so many charges against the church, against pastors, against Jesus, and the problem is not the church. The problem is not the pastors. The problem is not Jesus. The problem is you. Because <laughs> you still have unresolved issues that you're refusing to repent of, that you're refusing to let go of, that you're refusing Him, who is the only one that can heal you, is the only one that can bring about the fullness of life. Remember, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life and the abundance. It's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Do you think about that? Mm. Who are you yoked yourself with? The enemy only knows how to steal, how to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in the abundance, and yet you keep turning from me and going to him? And then somehow at the end, you want me to come along and say, okay, come on, you can come with me. No, that's not how it goes. He's laid his life down. He has purchased you. You can choose to remain in complete rebellion towards him the rest of your life. That is your choice. But God has made a way through his son Jesus that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We'll be saved. We're told continually through the New Testament how we are to live as the church. And we better wake up to it. We better wake up to it. Lest we end up like these Pharisees who thought they had it in with God and they don't. Oh, I have it good with God. How? How? By what means do you have it good? When you dishonor him by the way that you live. Just because you have a knowledge of God. Doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you a Christian. Your knowledge is worthless. These men, they studied scripture. They, they should have known God. And yet, they didn't know him. They were the one leading God's people. And yet, they were oppressing God's people. People are watching you. How are you living before them? Listen, the drunkard is not our enemy. The abuser and the murderer is not our enemy. The homosexuals, the perverts, the, uh, the sexual loose people, they're not our enemies. The backbiters, the gossipers, they're not our enemies. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and rulers of the air of the darkness. We're to serve. We're to love. But we're not to make light of what our God has done through his son Jesus. And you've heard me say this before, you all. There's a lot of people who know partial truth, but partial truth doesn't get you in to heaven. Everyone's quick to talk about God loves me. 
but they'll stop right there. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves you. God loves you. It's what he did because of his love that matters. Because if it was just God's love that brings us, ushers us into his presence, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. Bless you. But because of his love, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We must grow, we must mature. And we must see Jesus for who he is. Listen, there's many times we read through scriptures where Jesus passed through the towns. They didn't want him there, so he didn't stay. And there's a lot of people in, in our lives today and they don't want Jesus. Then don't fight with them. Just keep moving on. But don't you dare strip him and make him out to be nothing to them just to make them feel comfortable. No, let them feel uncomfortable about Jesus. They need to. I needed to. And when people used to try to dumb down the gospel to me, there was something still within me that was like, oh no, I'm not going to slap Jesus on my name. <coughs> Or my life, because I'm not living for him. Like when I was in the world and I was lost and I was doing my thing, living how I wanted to do, I wasn't looking for Jesus. <laughs> and I surely wasn't going to go pretend I was. Like even in the world, I knew, no, there was a, 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 a huge gulf. But only, it wasn't until he made himself known. that I saw his life laid down for me so that I can get to the other side. That Jesus, you all, he is our redeemer. He is our hope. This is the love that we share with others. Yes, God loves you, but he gave his son Jesus so that you wouldn't have to be an object of his wrath. Know that you would be an object of his love. Don't settle for the temporal desires of this earth. And you better see, you better look around how incredibly charged the enemy is. And what he's doing in our generation to pervert truth, to lie and to manipulate, to distort truth so that people remain enslaved. Get out there and share your faith. No matter how hard it is, share your faith, love on others, tell them of Jesus. Tell them that they need to repent, that they need to turn to Jesus. If they say no, don't fight them, don't get angry with them, move on. Jesus did. And he was the friend to sinners. Remember, it's the tax collectors and prostitutes that turned to Jesus. It was the humble people who saw that they were sinners. And they saw this gift being given of repentance to be, re to be restored to God. Listen, this life is all you have. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. You're but just a breath. 
so much more for us, you all. Now you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You'll awaken after the day, one day, in a place of utter torment or in a place of pure peace and light and love where every tear will be wiped away. We will worship our King and our God throughout eternity. This is the hope that we have. We don't change His message. No, we uphold Him. First for ourselves and then for others. Jesus spoke clearly to these men and they understood Oh, he's speaking of us. And they even said the answer. He asked them, what will happen to these farmers? And look, they answered. He will put the wicked men to horrible death. They knew what their faith was going to be. And yet, they still didn't turn and repent. They said, no, we have to arrest him. Oh, but we can't yet. The people will get angry. God help us. When God is speaking, that we don't move in obedience. When you don't move in obedience, you only grow harder to the things of God. And we will grow harder. But let that be not a mark of your life. Get on your knees. Cry out to God. Grow in your dependence upon Him. Until you stand before him. Seek him and he will be found. If you seek him with your whole heart. Trust in him. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. For he is God. Go to Psalm chapter 26. Psalm 26. Declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. For I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. I do not spend time with liars or go along with hypocrites. I hate the gatherings of those who do evil. And I refuse to join in with the wicked. I wish my hands to declare my, I'm sorry, I wash my hands to declare my innocence. I come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving and telling of all your wonders. I love your sanctuary, Lord the place where your glorious presence dwells. Don't let me suffer the fate of sinners. Don't condemn me along with murderers. Their hands are dirty with evil schemes, and they constantly take bribes. But I am not like that. I live with integrity. So redeem me and show me mercy. Now I stand on solid ground, and I will publicly praise the Lord. Even back then, you all, do you see the difference between the wicked and the righteous? Just pick up the Bible. <laughs> From the beginning to the end, 
There is a big difference between the wicked and the righteous, those who belong to God and those who don't belong to God. And yet it's trying to be silenced and, and, and marked out in our generation. What's evil is now called good. But living a moral life, living a right life, living a life that honors God is looked upon as being wicked. 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 Think about that. Me just sharing my testimony, Norma just sharing her testimony, what God has done in our lives, medically, psychiatrists will say we are crazy. We are crazy. I was reading an article the other day about people that God has delivered out of the gay lifestyle and transformed their life. And I go, wow. I wasn't looking to be changed. I was happy with who I was. But God stepped in and said, here I am. And I saw myself as a sinner. Not just a gay part of me, but all part of me. The liar, the abuser, the drunkard, I mean, you name it. It wasn't just the gay part of me. It was everything because it's all that I was was a sinner. Just as the rest of you, before you come to Christ, you are a sinner, whatever the sin is. We've gotten away from sharing our testimonies. We've gotten away of sharing what God is doing in, in and through our lives and how he's changing us. We've gotten away from this is who we are, but this is who, this is who we were, but this is who we are. And I'm told, if, if, if I lived in California, and if the law passes, I am told if I share the gospel, that I am a hindrance to the lives of others. Because I offer the hope of Jesus, of transforming a life. That I would be classified, basically, as the enemy. This is the time in which we're living, you all. And we want to play games as the church. We want to play games. Just showing up, oh, okay, well, it's just another Sunday. Oh, okay, I'll just, I'll get to church today. And it doesn't mean anything. And these are the times in which we're living, when the church better know who she is. And know who she belongs to. And recognize that what is good is now looked upon as wicked and evil. People are not accepting it, you all. But we don't grow discouraged. No, no. Remember, as we saw in the beginning, the greater the enemy, the greater the opposition, the more glory is going to be revealed. I mean, look at the persecuted church overseas. They don't give up. They're being persecuted. 
and yet the church is growing rapidly. Does it make sense to the natural mind? Why won't these people just give up meeting? No, no, no. Because they know their God. And they find strength in their God. Not in the persecution being lessened on them. Listen, we got to know our God. Like, are you talking? Are you sharing about what God has done in your life? How He has transformed you? Who you once were? And who you are now in Him? All of us should have a testimony. We're not trying to outdo each other with our testimonies. No, just testify. I tell you, the testimonies that move me the most are those who didn't go out and experience all the filth of this world. but somehow came to a saving knowledge of Christ because they saw Christ and their need for a Savior. They knew they were still a sinner. They probably weren't as bad as the rest of us. <laughs> but God protected them. God honored their choice to, to abstain from the filth. And they saw their need. They were just as much as a sinner as I was. But I love the fact that they didn't go out and run amok. And isn't it crazy that we say running amok is natural? Well, it's just what they're going to do. It's just what people do. Oh, they've got to experience it. Who? Isn't that crazy? That's how we talk. That's become our norm, especially for the youth. Well, they're going to be kids. They're just going to do it. Do what? Why is that the norm? For them to have to go out and experience No, the norm should be of them testifying that there's a God who is greater than their desires. There's a God who's greater than the pool of the world and the desires that are from within. There's a God who is greater. And here David pens this beautiful psalm And look at what he says here. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. Could you say that to God, you all? How? In and of himself, he's not taking pride in and of his accomplishment. But he's recognizing the fact that he's a man after God's own heart. He's recognizing that he sees sin for what it is. And he doesn't want to go that way. Then he recognizes the fate of the sinners. He knows of their destruction. He's like, oh, not I, God. Show me mercy. Redeem me. And in that I will stand. And I will publicly praise you. Praise Him, you all. Know your God. Go to Proverbs. Chapter 6 is where we're ending. Verse 16 through 19. The book of wisdom. There's work to be done, you all. We must know our God. We must draw close to Him. To abide in Him. 
to acknowledge him. And we don't make it a, we don't put on a facade. It's not fake to us. It's not this weird, oh, no, it's just, it's just real. It's genuine faith. And even in our times of despair, even in our times of failure, we just get up. We repent and we turn and we move forward. We're not pretending. No, this is real to, it should be real to us. It is our faith. It is our God in whom we are following. My God, if you said it, I believe it. And I've shared with you before, when I came to Christ, for many years, my questions was, who am I now? I know how I would live. I know what I like. I know what I would do. For many years, that was my question to God. Who am I now? How am I to live? And it was hard making choices to honor God. There are many times I wanted to run back to my Egypt. There was many times where my Egypt looked a lot better than where I was. There's many times I would rather chosen to do this or to do that instead of doing the right thing. Many times. Like forsaking the world leaving what you know, everything, your whole identity of who you are, and saying, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Though I can't see you, though I don't even really know if I know you, I'm just going to trust you. Because I couldn't conjure up all of this in my mind. (laughs) I couldn't have written this story. I couldn't have done this. So this has to be real. You have to be real. Remember when I said when Jesus spoke today, you'll live? My hands went up, my head went down, and oh God, Jesus. Like, it's you. Oh God, you're real. Call me crazy. Call me whatever you want. But it's real. It's true. And it's made me a better person because he has done a great work. And he's not finished. And the same with you, if you're sitting here today and you're a Christian, he's not finished with you. Keep moving. Keep seeking him. But have you really gotten true with the fact that you are no longer your own? Have you asked him, who am I now? If I'm not to be bitter and unforgiving and angry and the abused child or this, 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 and if I'm not that any longer, who am I? How am I to live? Give up this, give up that. Don't question it, give it up. Remember what I said. When the waters are parted, look forward. Don't look around you. He tells you to give it up, you give it up. Well, I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. Oh, but he does. That's who you're putting your hope in. To walk by faith and not by sight. To trust in the God who is King of kings and Lord of lords. I didn't know who I was. So how am I to live now? Especially when the world is giving me everything I wanted. I can't listen to that. Who am I, God? Because if I'm going to lay my life down for you, then I got to really know who you are. Jesus tells his disciples, consider the cost. Like, he doesn't play games. He doesn't mince words with people. No, 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 before you come after me, 
Consider the cost. Don't go start building something and then stop building it because then you're going to make me foolish to other people. No, consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. If you're going to be my disciple, then obey me. Why do you say you obey you, that I, I, you belong to me and you don't do what I ask? No, he's not mincing games. He, he's not playing games. He's not mincing words. No, this is established fact. You either love him with your whole heart, with your whole being, or you don't. There's no in-between. There's no, I got one foot in the world, one foot in my flesh, and my other foot over here. No, no, it's all or nothing. Like, you see your need for him. And you say, here I am, God. I receive this free gift of salvation. I couldn't clean myself up. I couldn't work towards to make this right. No, I just got to trust in you. And I don't have to add to it because you've already done it. So I can trust you that no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm facing, I can trust you. And he doesn't make the Christian life to be this, this weird cloud floating kumbaya type life, everything's perfect. No, he tells you, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. And it's funny, as I'm going through these challenges with my health, the uncertainty, or rather it could be cancer or whatever it could be, you know, you, you think about the reality of death. And you go, well, I don't even know how much time I may have left. I could have another 40, 60 years, or I can just have a week or two. I could drop dead right now. None of us know. But the hope that the Christian has, the hope that I keep reminding myself in is I'm already dead. I'm like, death, death, you have no majesty. You can't master me. I'm already a dead man. Death has been swallowed up in Christ. Amen. And I'm in Christ, so I'm not in fear of dying. I used to be before Christ as a child, as a little kid, growing up many, 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 many years afraid of death, consumed by the thoughts of death. But death, where is your sting? <laughs> you know what bothers me the most when I think about my condition and my health and the unknown? Is God, I want a Savior every moment of time to witness for you. And so when I see that I'm not savoring the moment and I'm missing out, I go, oh, I, I don't want to miss out that time. Like it's just even more of a fire in me building of going, oh, we don't have much time to bear witness of who he is to others, to share and to love others. To be kind and compassionate. To love and to serve. Like, come on, you all. Life. we got to stop taking it for granted. Life, you all. See, people should be looking in on the church and saying, oh, there's something different about them. They love each other. They all come from crazy backgrounds. But there's love. And where does that love come from but the source of love? God is love. And 
people are just looking for a place to belong. And we as the church should be opening our hearts and our homes to encourage them and to love them. Not forcing them. They don't want Jesus. Well. And then for those who are calling themselves Christians, then we should be holding each other up to that standard. We should be accountable to each other. We should be judging the fruit in our lives and say, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) That's ungodly. And what is it doing in your life? How is that bringing God glory? It's not. So get away from it. There's a way in which we are to live. And we end today looking at the seven things that the Lord hates. Chapter 6 of Proverbs, verse 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil. Feet that race to do wrong. A false witness who pours out lies. A person who sows discord in a family. You're part of a family, and you're always causing problems, stirring up people to get angry and causing issues. You better recognize it, that God is not pleased. In fact, he, he hates it. Our homes, our families should be a place of peace, of love, of unity, protecting each other, holding each other accountable, honoring God. That's how it should be, especially if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then you can't apply these principles. You can try and you can have a good moral life and maybe a good home life, but in the end you have nothing. God has got to be the center of every home in order for God to be glorified. But if you're a person who stirs up trouble in the home, watch out. Because you ought not to be. If you're a person who just bears false witness, who just lies against others, God have mercy. If your heart plots, I'm sorry, if your feet race to do wrong, like you just keep going into sin, into sin, into sin, Whatever that sin is, if you're quick to go without that hesitation of, oh, I should be turning from evil and doing good. No, if you're just quick to go, God have mercy. If your heart plots evil, if your hands kill the innocent, if you have a lying tongue and haughty eyes, God hates it, you all. These things, detest because they're the ways of the wicked they're the ways of the wicked so guard your heart if you find yourself listed in any of these repent see that's the good news you don't have to remain wicked you don't have to remain enslaved to wickedness to that old nature you can't blame your mama your daddy your grandma your teacher whoever no, you're, that's just the nature you were born in. You were born into sin, this nature that is in rebellion towards God. And God knows it. 
That's why God sent Jesus to break that hold. Amen. All things are made new now. You're a new creation. You're learning to not give in to the flesh, to walk by the dictates of the flesh. No, you're learning how to walk with the Holy Spirit as He comes to teach you and to guide you. You're living a new life now. A life that desires to honor God. No, God, I don't want to go that way. But if I go that way, God, be quick to convict and rescue me from it. Don't leave me there, God. This is the hope, y'all, that we have in a God who calls us out as his own. When I think about the picture of Christians being engrafted in, adopted into his family, and then given the right to call him daddy. Such a picture of intimacy with the Father. And one day, you all, we will stand before him. And oh, how I pray that each of us would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. And that we would not hear, depart from me, I never knew you. See, there's only two ways. Again, it doesn't matter how man or how people want to rewrite things and do things and say things. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't line up with truth, as we started this morning. If it doesn't line up with truth, then stay away from it. Stay away from it. It's a false gospel. See, the truth of God is that he knows the condition of mankind and he sent his one and only son into this world to pay the payment that should have been ours. Like he gave up his life so that you would live. There's no greater message that this world needs to hear than of Jesus, the Son of God, coming to redeem the lost. I'm going to close us with this last song. And then I'll close us in prayer.
Thank you.